You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Hello and welcome. We've now reached part four of our five-part series titled, Who is Jesus and Why Should I Care? And what a great series it's been so far. And if you've um, not heard the previous talks, you can catch up with them on the Riverview Church Facebook site. So during the series, we're exploring encounters of Jesus in Luke's Gospel. And in part one, Jessica looked at Jesus, the beginning, middle and end of all stories. And then Margaret looked at Jesus, the healer. And last week, Andrew looked at Jesus, the rule breaker or true religion. And today, we'll look at Jesus the Son of God. And we'll look at three encounters at the cross, the two criminals crucified either side of Jesus and the centurion in charge of carrying out their death penalty. And our reading today is from Luke chapter 23 verses 32 to 47 and Matthew 27 verse 54 and it picks up as Jesus is about to be crucified. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. And in Matthew's Gospel account we read, When the centurion and those who were with him, guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. So let's step back for a moment to understand the context of this event and the centurion's reaction. Firstly, A Roman centurion was a man of authority with around 100 soldiers under him. And centurions typically worked their way up the ranks by demonstrating their skill and courage and their loyalty and obedience. And centurions were expected to be fearless and would lead the charge into battle to to where the fighting was heaviest. And a centurion was a man of law, order, discipline and duty. And he would also be literate as many orders were written. Secondly, Israel had been conquered and was ruled by the Romans with an iron fist. The the Romans maintained law and order through brutal oppression and violence, and they imposed heavy taxes, 
Floggings and crucifixions were not uncommon, and crucifixion was devised to be a gruesome spectacle, the most painful and humiliating death imaginable, to act as a deterrent and to instill fear. And the Jews hated the occupying Romans. And thirdly, this was the time of the Jewish Passover festival, one of the most important Jewish festivals during which the Jews commemorated their liberation of the, their ancestors from oppressive slavery in Egypt. And all of Jerusalem knew the story of how God miraculously freed their ancestors from the cruelty of Pharaoh through Moses. There were clear parallels with their own plight, and the people of Jerusalem looked again to God and the long-awaited Messiah to liberate them from their Roman oppressors. And the population of Jerusalem had swelled for the annual Passover feast, and the anticipation and expectation surrounding this particular Passover festival was further heightened because of the appearance of a man named Jesus and his claim to be the Messiah, the Son of God, the Saviour, that the prophets of old foretold, the man that the people hoped would now free them from Roman rule by force. And only days earlier, Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem on the back of a young donkey, with the crowd laying palm branches and coats on the ground in front of him, praising him as their saviour, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! But... The chief priests had accused Jesus of blasphemy, a sin punishable by death under Jewish law. And everyone knew that they were looking for a way to kill Jesus. The whole city was charged. Jerusalem was a powder keg waiting for a spark. Now let's look at the events immediately before Jesus' crucifixion. The night before, Jesus had been betrayed by Judas and arrested on the orders of the chief priests. Early that morning, the chief priests had brought Jesus before Pilate, the Roman governor of Jerusalem, demanding that Jesus be put to death. But Pilate found no basis for a charge against Jesus, and he wanted to release him. However, the chief priests stirred up a crowd who began to shout, Crucify him! Crucify him! Over and over! Louder and louder! So out of cowardice and to avoid an uproar, Pilate ordered Jesus to be flogged and crucified. He then publicly washed his hands of the death sentence that he had proclaimed on Jesus. Now the centurion who was charged with carrying out this death sentence would have placed himself in the most dangerous location, that is, right next to Jesus. He closely guarded Jesus as he carried his cross out of Jerusalem to the place of execution called Golgotha, or the Skull. He watched as the nails were driven into Jesus' hands and feet by those under his command. And he was right there as Jesus was raised on the cross for all to see and mock. And he remained close by the whole time, as was his duty, until Jesus died. The centurion would probably have taken all of this in his stride, though. After all, he was accustomed to the horror of crucifixions, bloodshed and brutality, and to the politics, traditions and laws of the Jews, this was not some timid new recruit, but a courageous veteran and leader of a ruthless, occupying Roman army. And yet, from his reaction as Jesus died, this crucifixion was clearly different to all the others he had witnessed. This was no ordinary execution. First, this man Jesus behaved differently to all the condemned men he had seen. 
He did not shout or protest. He was not angry or violent. On the contrary, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And his entire concern was for others. The centurion would have heard Jesus' compassionate words to the women who mourned and wailed for him as he carried his cross towards Golgotha. His concern for his mother and disciples below him as he hung dying on the cross. His gracious words to one of the criminals crucified next to him who he'd never met before. The prayers to his heavenly father and his words of forgiveness towards those who had nailed him to the cross, including towards the centurion himself. He heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And secondly, there was an extraordinary power on display that day. The inexplicable darkness from noon till 3 p.m. And the earthquake, just as Jesus breathed his last. The centurion, deeply moved by all this, exclaimed, Surely this was a righteous man. Surely he was the Son of God. Matthew also writes, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified. Why would he be terrified? The eyewitness account doesn't say that he was just afraid, but that he was terrified. The centurion was used to coping with fear, and who was there to be terrified of anyway? Jesus was now dead. The, the Jewish chief priests had got what they wanted. The crowd was no longer a threat. The centurion had done his duty after all. No, it was not the fear of man that suddenly filled the centurion, but fear of something far more powerful, the fear of God. Now, we don't know what the centurion's understanding of God was at that point, or of the grace offered to him through Jesus crucified. We know that the Romans uh, at that time believed in numerous gods and goddesses, and in fact, they had, they had a god for everything in their life. However, what is clear from the Bible accounts is that the centurion, looking up at Jesus as he breathed his last, and as the ground shook in that eerie darkness that afternoon, had a sudden deep conviction that Jesus really was divine. And so he praised God, exclaiming, Surely this was the Son of God. Surely he was a righteous man. And with that probably came a feeling of dread, guilt, and condemnation. And he was terrified. After all, under his command, Jesus, the Son of God, had been flogged mercilessly, mocked, nailed to the cross and crucified. What punishment from God awaited him? He stood there in that moment, terrified. A man condemned. Pause that thought. So what about the two criminals? We read that one of the criminals hurled insults at Jesus, saying, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. He chose to join in with the crowd by insulting Jesus and rejecting him. The other criminal, however, rebuked him, saying, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for, for, uh, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. The second criminal revered God, and he confessed with his mouth before Jesus his own sinfulness, and that death was the punishment he deserved. He acknowledged that Jesus was without sin by saying he has done nothing wrong. In effect, this was also a profession of faith in Jesus as the Son of God, because he would have known that only God is without sin. Lastly, he turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Hallelujah! At that moment, I imagine all of heaven burst into joyful song and praise and worship at a sinner being saved. Of course, the crucifixion is not the end of the story. On the third day, we know that Jesus rose from the tomb. He had defeated sin and death once and for all. He was victorious. And later, he ascended into heaven to take his place at the right hand of God the Father. And he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us until he comes again. So, despite appearances and what the centurion might have thought, Jesus was not forced against his will to his death on the cross. Rather, he chose the cross. This was, in fact, the climax of God's incredible rescue plan to save mankind from sin, death and decay. This rescue plan and the fine details of Jesus' death had been predicted in accurate detail by the prophets and are recorded throughout the Old Testament of the Bible. As just one example, more than 700 years earlier, Isaiah prophesied about this moment. In Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, we read, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This rescue mission is also summarised in John's Gospel in the famous words in John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So who is Jesus and why should I care? Well, the truth is, the centurion and his soldiers were not the only ones who crucified Jesus that day. And it's not just Pilate and the chief priests who passed the death sentence on him. Each of us nailed Jesus to the cross that day. It was our sin that held him there. <clears throat> All are sinful and stand condemned, and that includes you and me. And the punishment is death, as the second criminal correctly stated. But the good news is that when Jesus died on the cross, he took our place there. He lived the perfect life that we could not live. And then he died in our place. He took our sins on himself and bore our punishment. He died so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And only someone without sin could die in our place and take away our sin. Only God is without sin. So God came in the form of his son Jesus to pay that price for us. Jesus, God the Son, chose the cross out of obedience to God the Father and out of love for us. Earlier, Jesus had said to his disciples, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So let's return to the centurion standing there, terrified before Jesus on the cross. If this was all God's rescue plan to save us, was the centurion right to be terrified? Was the second criminal right to fear God? 
Well, Simon, the fisherman who Jesus named Peter, had a similar reaction on the day he first met Jesus when he realised that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. In Luke chapter 5, verse 8, we read, When Simon Peter saw this, that is the great catch of fish, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. This recognition of Jesus' holiness contrasted against Peter's own sinfulness ultimately led Peter into a deeper relationship with God through Jesus. And in Proverbs 9 verse 10 we read, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And in Proverbs 14 verse 27, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. So did the centurion's fear of the Lord lead to life, turning him away from the snares of death? Did he come to understand the grace and mercy and the forgiveness of sins being offered to him through Jesus on the cross? Did he believe in Jesus and submit to him as Lord and Saviour and God? Did he come to faith and gain eternal life through his encounter at the cross? Well, we don't know for certain, but he was definitely on the right path. There may have been another stumbling block for the centurion, and that is all the other gods and goddesses that he worshipped. We do not know if the centurion, on encountering Jesus at the cross, realised that all other gods were false gods and powerless to save, and that there is only one true God and only one way to God, that is through Jesus. In Acts 4 verse 12 we read, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind, by which we must be saved. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Another way of looking at this is, um, imagine if you're sick with a very rare condition and you need a blood transfusion to live. And after an extensive search, you find that there is only one person in the whole world who can save your life by donating his blood to you. The problem is that he has to give you everything, meaning that he needs to die for you, for you to live. And that, it is, that is how it is with, with our sin and the blood of Jesus. No one else can save you. No one else's blood can heal you. No one else can forgive your sins and set you free. Jesus is the only one and he willingly poured out his blood for you and for me. And he gave everything. He died so that you and I may live. The night before he died, Jesus shared his last supper with his disciples, the Passover supper. And in Matthew 26, we read, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is by my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The precious blood of Jesus gives life, brings forgiveness and peace. It purifies you and reconciles you to God and it enables you to overcome Satan. So let's recap briefly, drawing from previous talks in this series also. So as Jessica showed us, the Bible is the greatest story ever told and it is a true story. It's all about Jesus with his life, death and resurrection at the very centre of it. What is more, we are written into it. So in the beginning, God created the whole world and everything in it. And there was a perfect relationship between man and God, 
However, man rebelled against God and sin came between us and God. And we are all sinful and the penalty of that sin is death. However, God devised an incredible rescue mission for mankind, which involved God's own son, who was without sin, Jesus dying in our place to take away our sin. And Jesus chose the cross so that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. But whoever does not believe in him remains condemned. So in our short Bible passage, we saw how three people responded to Jesus at the cross. Each had the same choice, to believe in Jesus as the Son of God and inherit eternal life, or to reject Jesus and endure eternal suffering. One of the criminals did not fear God, and he rejected Jesus. His guilt remained, and tragically, he died in his sin. The centurion was so moved that he worshipped God, professed that he was surely the Son of God, and was terrified. Was he saved? Perhaps in time he surrendered to Jesus as his Lord and Saviour and worshipped the one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, rejecting all other gods and goddesses. We do not know for sure, but he was certainly on the right track. The other criminal totally got it though. He feared God, he acknowledged his own sinfulness and that he deserved to die for his deeds. He believed in Jesus as the Son of God and in his power to forgive sins. He asked to go with Jesus, and Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Hallelujah! There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And although the second criminal hung on the cross close to death, he was no longer a condemned man before God. He would soon die in the flesh and then be raised to eternal life with Jesus. So three encounters at the cross and two choices. To believe or not to believe? That is the question. So let's go into a short time of response. Who is Jesus and why should I care? How do you respond to Jesus at the cross? If you've not made up your mind about Jesus, I would encourage you to look upon the cross once more. Once a symbol of defeat and humiliation. Now a symbol of victory and love because of Jesus. If you wish to respond now in a similar way to the second criminal who believed in Jesus, I would invite you to pray these words with me. So let's pray. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are the Son of God and that you died in my place so that I may have life. I confess that I am sinful and deserve to die for my deeds. However, you are merciful and compassionate. Have mercy on me. I am sorry for the things I have thought, said and done, which are wrong. And I turn away from my sinful ways and I turn to you. Forgive me as I forgive all who have sinned against me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit now, I pray. Amen. So bless you guys. 